This is Supra, it's back. This is its pure form, this is its pure statement, and it's as if it had never left. From the Toyota North American headquarters in Plano, Texas, this is Toyota Untold. So, when is the Supra coming back? At every event, with every post on social media, we hear all of you asking us this question all the time. It is by far the question we get asked most. Well, congratulations. It's a Supra new year. We can now finally say that Supra is back and will be coming to U.S. dealerships as soon as this summer. We know you want all the details, so we sat down with some of the people responsible for bringing the brand new Supra to life. So today we have all hands on deck. This is Kelsey. We'll have Tyler, Allison, and a very special guest host, Zach, who is joining the Super Podcast today. Let's get this started. First up, we brought our friend Ed Laukas, Group Vice President of Toyota Marketing, on the show to share what he's put into bringing the Super back. People have been asking us for, what, 20 years now? So a third of your career to bring this vehicle back. What goes into bringing this vehicle back? So it's interesting. Pony cars from the from the Detroit guys, you know, Camaros and Mustangs, mm-hmm. they have such a strong heritage and such a strong following. So it was really, a, a, as a top brand, it was really uh, difficult every year for me to say to everyone, we have no plans to bring back the Supra. The last time that we sold the Supra in the 90s, we couldn't give the car away. Yeah. It was at the end of its life cycle. I had to drive one as a demo in Chicago in the winter. So, I mean, it was, and now they're worth a ton of money, obviously, because mm-hmm. now we don't make it anymore. So it was really wonderful that, you know, Akio Toyota embraced the Supra and wanted to put his name on it. And so when we found out that it was coming uh, a few years ago, it was great to be part of the of the process to bring it forth and bring it back to the market. And the reaction, as you know, has been just o- overwhelming relative to mm-hmm. the people that uh, that really loved the old Supra. So what we have to do is make sure that we have a delicate balance between price and volume. Because mm-hmm. if you build too many of them, then you water it down. They water down the fact that there's it's something special. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the way that the vehicle's been tuned uh, in the chassis and in the engine for this uh, really has freed up some of our engineering resources to do other things. But our county guys in Southern California did all the interior work and all the body work. So it's all, you know, true to Toyota and the suspension and, every, and has all been tuned by uh, one of our chief drivers. And also has actually been tuned by Akio Toyota. Akio Toyota has been spending some time driving this vehicle. So we are very fortunate at Toyota to have Akio around for many, many reasons. But one of them is that a lot of people don't understand that he's a master driver. He gets a chance to drive almost every one of our vehicles around the globe before they go into full production and give his feedback to the chief engineer because he just loves cars. And the car not only looked good, but I understand it's going to sound really good. Yeah, the tu- the tuning of the exhaust has just been just phenomenal. And I got a chance to just, we have uh, one that is here that is under wraps that we're using for photos and that type of thing. And I got to drive it and it, it really is, it does sound cool. That's part of the emotion of the car, right? It is, it is. And can you tell us how that works? I mean, what that speaks to, to the, for the driver? Well, 
it's not only handling and feel, but how you, the, you know, you, all of your emotions. So driving is the experience, the driving experience overall is, you know, is supposed to elevate your heart rate and actually make you feel like it's fun. You know, unfortunately, you know, it becomes very mundane, you know, your commute going back and forth to work or, you know, whatever you do. And so there's got to be a way to be able to raise your pulse a little bit and be able to enjoy the joy of driving. That's why the in, the reason why the car business grew so rapidly when it did is because it provided independence, that independence that never was afforded to anybody before. You know, when you're under horse and carriage and everything, you were always limited. And as soon as the car came and you could get gas anywhere, you could drive forever Mm -hmm. and you were never limited. So you were, you were free. It was freedom. And that's so American, isn't it? One big aspect of the story of the Supra is its design. So we thought we'd talk to one of the people who could give us the inside scoop on how the design came about. We talked to Kevin Hunter, president of Calty Design Research, Inc. in California. Kevin is really one of the people responsible for directing the future of Toyota design. Most people in the company can't even get past the lobby of the Calty offices. So it's really a treat to share this with all of you. What makes a car an object of obsession? Can you identify like a couple qualities from the aesthetic standpoint that makes, because there are so many Toyota cars that are objects of true obsession. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Um, I think it, it really depends on uh, the circumstance and what, what it is. Of course, if we're designing a truck, that object of obsession is different than, you know, say a high-end sports car. But, you know, probably the number one common element for me is developing you know, and this is and this is a broad subject. It's a bit of an abstract uh, term, but just bold and dynamic design, and design that really, you know, we're aiming for design that really captures one's heart, not just you know practical reasons and uh, you know it's dependable, it's reliable. All all these great Toyota core attributes, of course, have to be there. But we we want to really pull it and tug at people's heartstrings. We have to do that through exciting design, a more dynamic design uh, that appeals um, to our customers. I think artful design, artistically beautiful design, of course, can appeal to everybody. And uh, again, that's a broad subject, how you define beauty and and, and the arts. But um, it's one thing we're always striving for is beautiful craft and beautiful art in what we're doing. And when that can mesh with functionality and practicality as well so the total user experience from you know the visual dynamic to the usability of the product is just wonderful and seamless that makes for a compelling vehicle how effective was the work that you did on the ft1 as a precursor to the supra tell us what you learned or what you tried out on it Basically, we wanted to express Toyota sports car heritage in that design also. And I think if you notice the, you know, the, for example, the cabin architecture is from the 2000 GT, which again was a crazy cool car back, very you know, cool. back in the day, very sexy looking car. So we tried to pull in, you know, some elements from, from that car, from our history, a few elements from the past gen Supra so that when... When somebody looks at this car, they think immediately, wow, that, you know, that's a Supra. That that's, has the Supra DNA. It has Toyota-ness. It is the, um, the new iconic sports car in Toyota's lineup. So that, that, was, that was really one of our biggest challenges to not create a design that when we showed it to 
to the enthusiasts, they didn't understand what it was. They didn't relate it to uh, Toyota's brand or, or our sports car DNA. We, we, we first and foremost wanted a direct connection to who we are as a company. It's been brought up, so we're going to go there. When we unveiled FT1 back in, what was it, Detroit, 2014? Um, we I wasn't had... born yet. <laughs> so when we took the wrap off those vehicles and people started talking like immediately about the return of Supra, what was the goal there? Well, that is exactly the goal. I mean, our goal was to get people fired up uh-huh. about Supra I knew it. coming back into Toyota's lineup. And it had been missing for quite a while. And there's a huge pent-up demand for that car, especially in the U.S., with enthusiasts. It's one of the most iconic, you know, the last-gen Supra is the most iconic Supra um, that was created. It suddenly went away, and, and people missed it. So, so our aim was really to bring that back. We missed, you know a big chunk of time there in between, but our goal was to bring it back in the FT1 concept um, as if it had never left and, um, you know, imagining it some 18 years later as a Supra. That's one of the projects I personally am so proud of here. And one one of the reasons is, is that we had proposed that we initiated that project to um, our headquarters office and uh, as a project for us to tackle and they were very excited about us uh, getting into that again. And, and now that, you know, our president, Akio Toyota, he's a big racer and, you know, goes and runs the Nürburgring. And uh, he's a super car nut, super car yeah. enthusiast. And he was so excited about it as well that, um, you know, we would explore some rebirth of Supra. What was Akio's feedback? Yeah, well, he was really fired up about it, of course. I'm sure. And, you know, the, you know, F- FT1, it's, it's a stunning car to look at it in person. It's very sculptural and it's deeply expressive. And so he, he was he was really thrilled about that, of course. Um, the other cool thing that we did that he was excited about is we worked with uh, the makers of Gran Turismo, the video driving game, which is one of the most, you know, iconic driving mm-hmm. games, you know, in history. And uh, they work with us to put, the FT1 data into the Gran Turismo driving game, we were able to actually set up a, a, a video driving game environment for Akio, and he could drive the car actually while he's, you know, looking at the full-size model and sitting in the interior. You know, he's also driving it, you know, at uh, the Fuji Speedway. So that was that Whoa. was a lot of fun. So he climbed in, and he was, he was really excited to... Uh, be able to not only look at it, but drive the car, actually. Wait, so you haven't even started, like, clay modeling on this thing, and Akio's already been virtually realityed into it? <laughs> Virtual realityed into it? We did. We had a hard model. We had a full-size, uh, for example, like a clay model sitting there, and then he was able to virtually climb in and then drive the car. Oh, uh, my goodness. That's nuts. That's insane. Yeah, it was cool. You got to do your, uh, your emotion read pretty early on. You're hitting the right button. Your temperature check. Yeah. <laughs> He's a racer, so he, he relates to that. And uh, it was just a lot of fun. He had a big smile on his face. And then shortly after that, we were approved to build it as a concept car for Detroit, for Detroit Motor Show in 2014. What do you want people to like 
feel when they see this vehicle from a design perspective? I would love for them to feel that this is Supra. It's back. This is this is its pure form. This is its pure statement. And it's as if it had never left. And we're just continuing on with our lineage of uh, Supraness and Looks like it's a it's an inline six uh, motor in this thing because it's got a long dash to axle. It's muscular. It's powerful. It's sexy, and they want one. They gotta have it. So uh, I I I hope that's that's the reaction we get. Awesome. So after the design, what happens? A vehicle like this takes a lot of product planning and strategy. So we sat down with Andrew Coetzee, Group Vice President of Product Planning and Strategy, and talked about what went into planning this vehicle. We also talked about the Supras that he has, as he's a super, super enthusiast. Hi, everyone. It's Tyler at Toyota Untold. I'm here with Andrew Coetzee who is a group vice president of product planning and strategy. And then we also have a guest host. We have Zach here with us. Hey, Tyler. Thanks What's for having going me. On? Not a lot. Excited Andrew, to be here. I know, right? Because we have an amazing topic today. We do. Supra. Supra. Andrew, I feel like you probably know the most here at, you know, at Toyota about Supra. You have two Supras, correct? Yes. Good afternoon. Uh, I do, in fact, have two of them, and I feel fortunate. What years? I have a 1993 Supra and a 1997 Supra. Oh, my goodness. Are are they stock? Have you done anything to them? Obviously, the tuner market's huge with Supras, but a a stock Supra is uh, more rare. Yes, uh, that is interesting. The 1997 is uh, stock. The only modifications on it are a few uh, TRD pieces that I, I have from back in the day, things like a suspension tower brace and so forth. It's a six-speed, 27,000-mile car, all original. It drives just like a, a new car. I drove it into the office today. So There's going to be so many fangirls and boys <laughs> yeah. like going nuts on this episode. The 93 is, is modified. I suppose it's what a lot of the super enthusiasts would call a BPU car for basic performance upgrade. It has some upgrades to it suspension as well as uh, powertrain, uh, but they're fairly basic, not anything too radical. And did you buy them both brand new? I bought the 1997 uh, new, and uh, the 93 I bought used at the time I purchased it, it was 10 years old. It had 32,000 miles on it, and it was owned by a local dentist in Huntington Beach who drove it just a few miles to his office and back. Wow. And uh, so I've kept it um, ever since then, and uh, it has 76,000 miles on it now, I think. And it's safe to assume that these cars don't sit outside in your driveway. <laughs> That's a safe assumption. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just checking. So when did Supra come into your life? To be very honest with you, if I go back to my earliest memory of Supra, it was probably when I was living in Michigan. Yeah. It probably was a 1986 or 87 Supra I first saw on the road on the on a highway in Michigan. It had that kind of double wing over the rear window. That was uh, what the enthusiasts called the Mark III mm-hmm. Supra. It was a straight six car. It was no longer a Celica Supra. It was starting to separate out as a sort of a separate brand. 
But uh, I will say I do remember seeing that and thinking how that was kind of cool and iconic at the time. That uh, spoiler, no one else had one quite like that. It was over the top of the rear hatch. Mm-hmm. It caught my eye, shall we say. That was my first moment of kind of recognizing there was such a thing as a Supra. And then when did that visual and work kind of mesh Supra together <laughs> for you? Well, then when I joined Toyota in 1988, you know, we were selling that car. And uh, so I had a chance to drive that. Uh, It was available both as a normally aspirated car and also a a turbo. And so I had a chance to to drive that. And and that was was kind of cool. It was a... uh, was a noteworthy car. It was fairly large for a Japanese sports right. car back in its day, uh, much bigger than the uh, than the 300ZX or the RX-7 yeah. of the day. Then there started to be talk around the office within my department with my uh, department uh, executive of the next Super, and that's when I started to hear about the next Super long before I actually saw the car. Yeah, and and so that Super came out. I guess what the enthusiasts would call the Mark IV in '93. So when yep. when did you first see that, and what was your reaction when you first saw? And that? what was your role with Toyota at that point? Yeah, I was working in the product planning uh, department at 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 some point when I saw the first car. Uh, it was long before it launched. It was probably at least a year or eighteen months uh, before that launched. Actually, my my memory at that time, even before I saw the car, I remember our department uh, manager uh, had gone over to Japan for some design reviews and some meetings. And he came back, uh, his first day back in the office, there were a small group of us assembled around him getting a debrief on all of the key meetings that he attended. Mm-hmm. He said to us, you won't believe what I just saw in Japan. I went to the design dome. And I saw on the next Super this massive, massive wing on the back of this car. (laughs) And the engineers explained why we needed this huge wing for downforce at high speed because this car is going to be capable of really high speeds. And he said, "I, I looked at it and I said, as long as you make it optional because it's the biggest wing I've ever seen. <laughs> and uh, as as you know, that wing became rather iconic. Yeah, uh, Like it or not, starting a whole design trend. Uh, it wasn't too long before you saw Civics on freeways in yeah. the USA with big wings like uh, like the Super. And then the every back, so. Fast and Furious movie that's <laughs> ever come out. <laughs> yeah. What What was the initial reaction to, uh, I guess, the marketplace? You would see from your side. Uh, the reaction to that wing was it popular? Did people were people seeking that out? Was it as popular in '93 as it was in '98? It was popular, I would say, from the beginning. Very quickly, an optional feature on the car became basically ordered at 100 percent wow. on, on the turbos, for example. So, the car actually looked beautiful without that. And uh, my '93 uh, Supra is a turbo with no wing, and it's. Very, very rare. I will say oftentimes people stop me and comment that they've never seen one without a wing, for example. It was a beautiful car and a beautiful design ahead of its time, I would say. Mm -hmm. But it was quickly embraced, it seems, as an element, a design element that people seem to recognize as as fitting with the car. Um, The car generated, as you know, a lot of enthusiasm in the media. The media uh, had a lot of cover stories featuring Mm -hmm. the Supra. You know, 
comparisons to Ferraris and so forth, if you can believe it way back then, um, it really did cause quite a stir. And um, so it was, it was a very interesting time to be in the business. 98 was the last generation and then eventually into 2002, retired Supra. What led to that decision? And I'm sure everybody wants to know because all we hear, especially me working in social media and all I see on our channels is bring back the Supra, just bring it back. <laughs> so what led to the decision for it to go away in the first place? For a car that had launched originally in 93, it had by 98, it was nearing the end of its planned life cycle. And uh, so 98 was the last model year in the United States. And then it was the, the production was kept at very low volumes in Japan through about 02. And so it was one of those decisions with Supra that we needed to make that decision. And uh, frankly, the sales had been declining. If you look at the sales history of the car, mm-hmm. you know, the sales uh, had been declining or it, had, had, uh, it was no longer easy to sell Supras in volume. And so it became a practical question really of whether to keep the car longer and make the investments to keep it in the marketplace. I had a franchisee in another business that I worked on that said, if it don't make dollars, it don't make sense, right? So can't keep it around forever. But so we retire Supra with the internet as it is, right? The birth of social media you have fan groups, you have forums, you have consumers who have kept theirs, they share pictures. That it's, it's an ongoing, I feel like the iconicness of this vehicle has just been growing and growing <laughs> since 2002. So during that time, what's happening at the Toyota side to make the decision to bring Supra back? Yeah, well, certainly the Fast and the Furious movies and the original one especially really did, of course, fuel the enthusiast passion for the car. And mm-hmm. and I'd have to admit, too, that even during the time we were selling Supra, you know, really the aftermarket and all the enthusiast support of the vehicle is really what made the car famous. Absolutely. And, um, you know, if you were to drive a, a stock Supra compared to the average modified car, you know, really the modifications really brought that car alive. It mm-hmm. was it was so amazing to people, the, the kind of uh, stout engineering in that vehicle that allowed for so much modification and made it uh, it's so good. It's easy to understand how the movie picked up on that because it was happening in real life, you know, in, yeah. in, in our marketplace. But looking at the situation internally in the company, I think the right things had to happen for us to be able to have a platform and the right hardware and so on to make, a, make another rear-wheel drive, high-performance sports car come alive. And so... It took quite some time to do that. It took us a while to get the bits and pieces together. And that's your group, right? You're in charge of the bits and pieces. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in charge of the strategy piece of this. Right. And I would say that the biggest, the biggest ally that we had was really Akio Toyota and his personal passion for bringing back Supra. Un, un, unquestionably, that was the biggest factor that we had yeah. because uh, it really took the passion of somebody saying, we've got to find a way to do this, to break through the rational barriers, to break through some of the financial mm-hmm. barriers that are there these days. You see uh, how challenging it is to make a business out of sports cars or limited volume vehicles. So that's really what it took. Um, I think once he indicated that he was, he really wanted to find a way 
there were ways of making this happen and through, a, I think, a particularly innovative uh, solution here that we've, uh, we've landed upon. We've, we're able to bring back an iconic car uh, that otherwise maybe uh, wouldn't have happened without uh, our president really leading that charge. So we actually have a, a vice president in our department, Tim Morrison. Uh, and Tim came back from Japan last year and he said, I just saw the super in person for the first time. He said, I've been with the company since 1981. This is, this is why I work for Toyota. Do you feel like the Supra is kind of re-engaging with some of that fan base that we might have had in the 80s, starting with the Celica and then the Celica Supra and, and kind of super on? It's kind of, it's going to bring those fans back. Oh, yes. I mean, the, the enthusiasm for this car is just amazing. The, you know, it's the number of people I meet that find out I work for Toyota and then they talk about Supra. It's a memory or I met somebody the other day, his wife has one and she is waiting for the next car. He just was grilling me with questions. Of course, I had to keep him in suspense. <laughs> but all over the place, it is very clear there's, there's so much interest in, in this. I think, you know, coming back to the design element of this car, I think that the design team really did a phenomenal job of of taking the FT1's inspiration and making it production feasible. That is very difficult to do. It's easy to make a vehicle look really cool if you don't have to get in and out of it. You don't need bumpers and doors and stuff like that. But I think that um, the car will definitely bring back some of the excitement that we had around the Toyota brand having this special vehicle. And uh, so it's it's going to be really fun. Uh, yeah, I'll be honest with you. I think there's a little bit of a burden sometimes on your shoulders with an, an iconic brand name like Supra. High expectations. Uh, there was some debate internally as to what the requirement is for a car to be able to wear the badge of Supra. That, you know, it wasn't necessarily a given when this program kicked off, even though the, the president was very clear on needing another Supra. Mm-hmm. We could have called it anything. And uh, so the we it, we had a code name for it, just like every other vehicle. And uh, we do that because we want this to be a standalone vehicle mm-hmm. and and so on. But uh, there, you know, there is debate from time to time on on a number of different vehicles on what is what does it mean when we put this badge on it. So I think that was meaningful. We talked to some of the journalists even about that. What does it mean to you when we say we're coming out with another super? What would you expect that to mean? in terms of performance or mm-hmm. price and those types of things. So our our inputs are varied. We get inputs from a lot of different directions and we appreciate them all. And then how do you get to that final decision of this is what it is? And did Akio have to sign off on this? Akio is the final approver of all product. And of he all is product. of all product, wow. including naming. And I mean so, it's his name, I guess. <laughs> I guess you kind of have to. Yeah, for every product, not only Supra, every product globally that is sold, um, it is, uh, in our company, I think in most automotive companies, senior executives in the corporation do approve the product strategy and the actual one-by-one product approval. And certainly at at, uh, Toyota, that that is the way it happens, not only Akio by himself, but a team of senior executives. Before a vehicle is actually commercialized, they have a decision-making meeting to make the final authorization. Included in that is the basic uh, production plan or sales plan, basic pricing idea, the naming of the vehicle, those kinds of things. So absolutely, Akio had his 
stamp on this vehicle um, during the final design process and the finalization of that. There were some adjustments made for his direction as well. So he's very much involved, especially in this vehicle. And then what goes into it from a U.S., you know, if you have a vehicle that's a U.S.-specific launch versus a global reveal of a product, which the 2020 Supra is, is there a difference? Well, this is a global car. However, the United States is by far the biggest market for sports cars. Even though it may be a smaller market than it once was, uh, it's presently and in the foreseeable future by far the, the, the largest market. So that means we do pay a lot of attention to make sure the product is right. For any global product, the top one or two or three markets, usually we need to make sure that the product is really a good fit mm -hmm. for those markets. So uh, there was a fair amount of work done to validate uh, that and make sure that the car was, was going to be right on target for us. So I was fortunate to be a part of that process, including test drives and, and confirmation activity to make sure that we were in good shape. And obviously we just had the reveal and we announced that the first 1,500 Supras in the U.S. are going to be a special launch edition. Can you talk about kind of the thinking behind that and where that will go? And obviously, the, you would think, collector's item right off the bat. You know, we're well aware that there's so many people waiting for the vehicle. And um, so we think that there's a, a group of, of customers that really will be anxious to have the first ones. And we don't have to make them unique or different, but we thought, let's let's do that. Let's make something special about that. The 93 car actually launched with a premier edition. I'm not sure if you're aware of that, but my 93 wears a little premier edition badge on no, it. Oh, I had no idea. Um, I was 10, this not is, driving yet. Yeah, this is... Uh, Come on, Zach. <laughs> this is, uh, you know, just a way of making it somewhat unique and special for those people that step up and say, I want to be one of the first to take delivery. So we think that's kind of cool to make it unique. Personally, I think the white launch edition is uh, its my favorite color scheme. It's white, red mirror caps, red leather interior, matte black wheels. It's It's beautiful. It's stunning. Incredible. What do you want people to take away from seeing this vehicle and the, all the team that your, uh, all the work that your team has done for this? Number one, we listened. <laughs> We listen because people have been asking for this car. So I think that's that's the most important. And we do try and listen. It took us a long time this time to come back with something, but we're back. So I want people to, to know that we listen and, and, and that the car is back. Secondly, it's a modern sports car. This isn't just bringing back somehow the Mark IV or whatever we'd like to call it. Mark IV is what still a lot of enthusiasts call the last generation mm -hmm. car. We have modernized the car. It is lightweight. It is nimble. It is continually, you know, fitting in with our strive to always make things better. And so I think they'll find it to be a car that has high performance, high level of agility. It truly is a leap beyond what Super ever was in, in the past. As good a car as it was, the new car really even goes beyond that in so many ways. Technology allows us to do a lot of things we couldn't do before. And so uh, it's really exciting, I think, to progress. So yeah, I'd want people to know that we listened, that we're back with the new car, and the new car is 
is just spectacular and new in every way and better in every way. Because I always say the internet is a place where we can't have nice things, there's going to be some people, not a lot hopefully, but some people who say, you didn't give me this, you didn't give me that. What is one thing that maybe we didn't do with this vehicle that we wish we could have? Or maybe you as a passionate super owner wish we could have. <laughs> I'm, I'm really, really satisfied with the new car. Ooh. I think it is a, f- uh, is a fabulous car. And I've had the chance to flog the car on the track yeah. and flog it hard and it, it comes back for more. So it, it really stands tall in the performance world. I think it's very obvious, uh, and yes, we. It's interesting to pay attention to the uh, the comments, the pros and cons mm-hmm. online. It's it's always uh, you, you'll get a smile on your face one way or another. I think very obviously there is a group of enthusiasts that is very disappointed that we don't have a manual transmission. Mm-hmm. That is that it has to be on the top of list for a lot of uh, a lot of enthusiasts. I have one of each. I have a automatic transmission super now the 93 is a Mm -hmm. four-speed automatic think of the horror on young people's (laughs) faces if i was to mention it was a four-speed automatic and uh, the other one's a six-speed manual Um, the truth is that automatics have progressed so quickly so rapidly in terms of actual performance here to 60 times outperforming manual transmissions and so forth but nevertheless, in spite of that, um, there still are some folks that would prefer the control of a manual transmission. So um, that's uh, we feel good about what we're bringing to market all day long. It's it's a great car. But I think to not acknowledge that from the enthusiast community would uh, would be a mistake. As as um, it's just out there. I think in terms of other elements, um, I think you'll see us evolve the vehicle over its life cycle. So can't really reveal too many secrets, but I think uh, we will evolve Supra. It shouldn't just stand still forever. Um, This new car that we bring out, we'll need to continue to um, do interesting things with that so that we can keep it interesting for people. So that much we'll promise. So the big question, do you have room in your garage for a third one? (laughs) That is the million-dollar question. There's always room (laughs) for a Supra. (laughs) How could you even ask that question? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Well, we know where one of the 1,500 will be going. (laughs) There's also, I mean, one of the interesting things that I thought was, so we're taking car number one, right? VIN number 2021, and we're auctioning it off. Was that always the plan? That plan was hatched a few months ago. Mm -hmm. We just recognize how significant this car is. Yeah. to the enthusiast to come back. So not only the, the initial 1500, but that very first car. It's so significant. We think there will be an interest out there among the collector car community in owning that first one. And so why not let a charity benefit from the proceeds mm-hmm. of, of that? So very, I will tell you, there was zero debate when that idea was put on the table as a part of launching the vehicle. Wow. No debate whatsoever. It was instantly agreed as something that made perfect sense. So again, Akio was informed of that. And uh, his personal signature as signed With a special pin on the engine cover is on that vehicle. Wow. So, yeah, from the very beginning, again, he loved the idea. So, he was all in. And if you're listening um, immediately, 
The Barrett-Jackson auction is going to take place on January 19th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So if you're listening to this after that, sorry, you missed it. You won't get the first Supra. But if you're listening to them before January 19th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, check out Barrett-Jackson. And if you want to bid on it, could be yours. So we've talked about the design, we've talked about the product planning, but as we all know, what makes something really special are the details. So we are very happy today to have Ben Haas-Halter, who is also in production planning and strategy, but he has the extra Supra cool job of being involved in all those little details that make the Supra really sing. We're on the Supra podcast and it has finally been unveiled. Are you personally a Supra fan? My super story, when I was a kid, I, I was living in El Paso, Texas in the early 90s. And I, I saw a Mark IV Supra, probably about 1993, mm-hmm. summer, summer thereabouts. And one of our neighbors had one. And I just, it blew me away. I had never seen a car like that. The extreme spoiler on the back, big projector headlights, the vents in the doors. I mean, my, my family had muscle cars growing up. Mm-hmm. And seeing that Japanese sports car that looked super exotic and also outperformed everything that, that we had that you know had V8s in it at, right. at the time really got me intrigued. So fast forward a few years, you know, 2001, I was 16 years old, Fast and the Furious came out and that just kind of reinvigorated Supra for me. Yeah. And I, I have to admit the S2000 in that car was pretty cool too. But, you know, that, that was like, wow, Supra is, is strong and the whole tuner culture was in full force at that mm-hmm. time even though the car had been out of production for a couple of years already. Yeah. It uh, kept my interest. What was your involvement in the planning of Supra? Oh boy, this, this project, I mean, after 21 years of being gone from the U.S. market, you know, where do you even begin trying to bring that, where do that you begin? history back? <laughs> yeah. I've been involved in the project myself uh, officially for about three years, but I've dabbled in and out of it for the last five. Yeah. Uh, I was there when we unveiled the concept car in Detroit almost five years ago. The FT1? Uh, FT1, yep. Made a big splash. Mm -hmm. I uh, specifically requested to be on the project before the project was even kicked off. Did you know that it was going to be the the precursor to Supra? So there were rumors. Okay. It wasn't official yet from Mm -hmm. from where I stood in in my point of view, but I knew that based on the reaction of the crowd that day, that there was going to be a push to try and get this thing in the production. At what point did you find out, all right, Supra's coming back. For me, it was, let's see, roughly about spring 2015 where I really started hearing about it and, and getting involved and consulting mm-hmm. a little bit on some of the, the multimedia strategy at the time. I was, I was working on our multimedia programs and they're asking me, you know, we've got this new sports car coming out. What technology and spec should we request to, uh, to put in development with it? So I started dabbling in the project then. Do they tell you what it is at that point? We knew roughly what the car was going to be. Mm-hmm. We, we knew, you know, two seats, front engine, rear wheel drive, turbo six cylinder. That was there. But as far as styling and images, I had, I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> At what point did you get that information? You're like, oh man, this is Supra. Oh boy. So the first time it officially came over to me was, was spring 2016. And they had done a lot of the styling reviews already. And it was pretty much underway from a development standpoint. But it came to me and we had to figure out what's the grade strategy going to be. How are we going to you know, create the different models and the grades and powertrains within mm-hmm. the car? So we started kind of working on it then. The first time I saw the car was actually spring 2017, uh, which was quite late in mm-hmm. development. Yeah. <laughs> I'd been doing a lot of work on it for a year. 
in the last since you know you saw the car, you saw how beautiful yeah. it was. What did you do from there from a product planning standpoint? So attention to detail. So we we got the car and there were a lot of things that we wanted to tune on it. You know, one, one big one was the exhaust sound. Mm-hmm. The first time we heard the car, it was really subdued. It was quiet. It, it sounded really? almost like a like a Lexus sedan. Huh. And we heard that and you know, Rob Lally, the product planner at the time working with me, we said, that's not going to do it. This right. car needs to have some bark. It has to have some bite, some character. So that was one thing that over the last three years that I've been on the program, we've really, really worked towards improving. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the final product, it, it got to where we wanted it to be. The car sounds just mean and exotic and you know, it sounds as good as it looks. And what inputs go into you saying, hey, it has to have this sound or yeah. the certain like specifications that you worked on? What type of information are you inputting to make all these decisions? So we're, on a lot of our decisions, we're looking at the competitive set. Yeah. And who this who this car is going to compete against, and also what the type of buyer is that's going to go and want this car, mm-hmm. and doing a lot of research of what that target buyer feels is important. Mm-hmm. And this car being a, a two seat exotic sports car, I mean, these are people that want to be seen and they want to be heard. And exhaust sound is something that plays just a real big role in that. You know, with the electrification going on on all of our other models and without the industry, there's not a lot of true angry sounding cars that are still being developed. Right. And Supra is, it's just a pure car and, you know, all the senses will be involved when you're driving that car mm-hmm. and taking it around to show it off. So you are looking at all of the nuts and bolts of this vehicle, the 2020 Supra that you're yeah. building. What are some of the things that you're really proud of that went into this vehicle? Yeah. So besides the exhaust, that was a real pet project. Um, yeah. I think that the style turned out really, really good. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of heritage Toyota sports car cues in the design. Mm-hmm. From the the shape of the glass on the side of the car to the the subtle lip spoiler on the rear deck lid, it's just a just a beautiful car to look at and uh, kind of run your hands over mm-hmm. as you're having fun with it and enjoying it. Other things that I really like, uh, I think the the technology and the materials that we put into the car have been well thought out. There's a lot of aluminum contro- componentry to keep mm-hmm. the weight down, uh, as well as the the rear hatch is made of plastic. Mm-hmm. to really lower the center of gravity of the car. And the, the center of gravity of the car is actually lower than our own 86. Really? Which that car has a boxer engine in it. So to get a lower center of gravity out of a car with a, an inline six uh, compared to a boxer four is pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. And the development team did a great job there. So now you've been working on this vehicle past four years at this point? Just about, yeah. A labor of yeah. love, perhaps? It is, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a special project. I mean, of the... Of the seven cars that my team's responsible for, I mean, we, we have the volume cars in RAV4 and Highlander uh, and, and CHR, but the sports mm-hmm. cars are what really get me excited to come to work every day and, and really kind of put my thumbprint on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because the sports car, now that, you know, Americans are driving more SUVs, uh, you don't get to make as many, right? You we don't, don't get your hand it's, on as many. It's, uh, it's a rare time when we get to do a ground-up sports car. Mm-hmm. And especially... Supra, that is so iconic. So iconic. So iconic. And so <laughs> is that pressure for you to have this iconic of a sports car this long since it's been in the market to be able to get your hands on it and be like, we have to deliver? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of expectations for this car. You know, whether you, you owned a few of them in the past, going back you know, into the early 80s, uh, whether you saw it on Fast and Furious and you have this this mindset that this car is kind of this this icon despite mm-hmm. never having owned one. I mean, a lot of the enthusiasts on this car just, they're crazy. They're great. Yeah. It's, it's a great scene. Um, 
throughout the development, we went to SEMA and, and got to talk with some of the, the former super owners. And, you know, they were always asking, when are we going to get to buy a new car? When yeah. are you going to bring it back? So to be able to have that now and, and answer those calls for the new car is great. That's awesome. You talked about SEMA. Aftermarket on Supra is huge. It so is. what are the types of things that people can do or would you expect people to do from an aftermarket perspective with Supra? So I'm sure that the culture is going to continue. Yes. The, um, the tools and ingredients that they're working with are going to be a little bit different. Right. But th- there's so much more software control in, in new cars these days. You know, a, a tune on an engine ECU is, is much simpler to do mm-hmm. and get a, get a lot of extra power out of our product. But we've also, from the factory, it's pretty capable. Mm-hmm. We, have, we have hardware on this car that the old Supra couldn't ever dream of. We have torque vectoring, rear differential, adaptive suspension, We've got multimedia capabilities that this, you know, the old AM, FM CD player and the old Supra just can't even dream what we've got in this car. Apple CarPlay? Apple CarPlay. It's yes. wire, wireless Apple CarPlay. It's wireless. a Toyota first. Okay. Yeah, it's got some toys in there. We've got a great set of seats on the car, mm-hmm. 14-way power seats on um, the premium launch edition cars that uh, have a lot of great bolster support. They have memory on them. They're heated. I mean, things that never existed in a Supra before. Yeah. So starting with the seats, I think they're, they're a great ingredient for a car that's, that's built for sporting. Other things, we've got 8.8-inch uh, screens for the, the audio and multimedia, as well as the gauge cluster is a full 8.8-inch uh, LCD screen that's quite high-tech. Mm-hmm. We've got different driving modes in the car that change uh, steering, they change suspension, they change uh, the exhaust sound a little bit, throttle position map. It's, it's a lot of technology that you're able to you know, control through the center screen in the middle of this car. Are we going to see any standard safety things so, that Toyota's known for? Yeah, so we'll, we'll have a standard pre-collision system. Mm-hmm. So our, our commitment to safety is, is not wavering on this car. Yeah. Um, we have adaptive cruise control uh, available as an option, something that people, I think, are getting quite accustomed to mm-hmm. with, with our Toyota safety sense that's out there now. Uh, we've got a great set of LED headlamps on the car, so the, the visibility... Through the headlamps is something that the old Supra could never deliver. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there anything that you think consumers will be surprised by with the Supra? You know, I, I think that the performance of the car is going to surprise some people. Despite, you know, only having 15 horsepower above the old car, the, the acceleration is a good bit better. You know, the old Supra was, was a track monster in, in the straights, but it couldn't really corner all that well. Mm-hmm. This car, it's a totally, totally different feel to drive on the track. The wheelbase is shorter, it's, um, it's lighter, it's lower, the center of gravity is a lot lower. Mm-hmm. It's a much more capable car. While the, the old Supra was more of a Japanese muscle car, mm-hmm. if I had to describe it, I'd say the new Supra is more of a, it's more of a Porsche fighter than it is a, a Mustang or Camaro fighter. So back in December, there was a, uh, an image right before, uh, you know, the holiday break that leaked online. Does that kind of like stab you in the heart a little bit? <laughs> it does. It does. I, I, it was about a month before launch. So it, uh, it kind of ruined the parade a little bit, <laughs> but there's still a lot more of the car to see. I mean, no, it was absolutely. just a front shot. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, those, those things, they happen. There's spy photographers out. You can't trust anybody that you give the car to. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it, what it really did was it built more anticipation for the car. It got it people has. talking about it. 
But still, yeah, something we wouldn't have liked to have seen happen. I'm just happy that finally we're saying Supra's back and here's, you know, you saw it today. Yep, <laughs> like, Supra's back is better than ever. There it was, exactly. <laughs> because for so long, we've been teasing little portions of this, right? Yeah. You saw the race car at the Geneva yep. Auto I was, Show. I was at the Geneva Auto Show mm-hmm. and the, the response to that car, Chief Engineer taught us on, people loved it. Yeah. And, and they're kind of like, when can we buy one? And you're like, we can't tell you. It's yeah. still more than a year away. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, people have been talking about this car for so long. To, to finally start seeing it on the road is something I'm really looking forward to. We've seen the previews. We've had the unveiling. We've talked about it. We've thought about it. We've wished for it. We've wanted it. We've begged for it. And now here it is. The Supra is an actual car. And the very first one is going to be auctioned by premier auto auction house Barrett Jackson on January 19th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Be there with all the drama, all the excitement, all the live action. It happens fast, people. So you got to be there to see this iconic one-of-a-kind car auctioned for charity. To talk us through the whole auction process, because frankly, it was a little mysterious to us, is Craig Jackson, CEO and chairman of Barrett Jackson Auctions. Hi, Craig. It's Kelsey. Hi, Craig. It's Allison. How are you? We're doing great. We're excited to talk about about this. Let's start off with a little bit about Barrett-Jackson and how you've gotten to this point of obviously being quite impactful in the collector car industry and as far as auction goes, obviously to the point where we want to auction off the new Supra with you. Barrett-Jackson really started with two car guys, my dad and Tom Barrett, being car collectors. And my mom was one of the first directors of the Classic Car Club of America. She was the president of our region. That's cool. So I grew up in a car family. Both of them went to GM Tech. And uh, my dad went to GM Tech. And my mom, they met at General Motors. I was born in Pontiac. So I grew up in a car family. (laughs) My parents, my mom and dad and my brother... They bought a car previous to me even being born, a 34 Cadillac that they saw in a junkyard, restored it at our house in Michigan. And my mom, when they moved out here, drove me in that car out here. Oh, wow. My mom being all of five foot four, driving this big, you know, V16 Cadillac or V12 Cadillac across the country, you know, three mm-hmm. speed on stick. She was quite the woman. So I grew up in this since I can remember. It started as as a hobby, a passion. It still is. It's my hobby as well as my business. And I think that's what makes us different is we grew up on the passion side of it. I am not an auctioneer. I do not know how to auction. I do know how to build frame-off classic cars from scratch. I've shown cars at Pebble Beach over the years. I'm going to show one next year. And I think that that is something that makes us unique, that we – and everybody I've surrounded my, myself with here share that same passion. That's what we sell. We sell passion, and we love what we do. So what do you think is going to happen with Supra? I mean, you know, you can have it all planned out, but once something, things happen in the room, right? So what do you think is going to happen? It's unscripted television. We, <laughs> we, you know, we've been on TV 22 years before they started reality TV. It's true reality TV. We don't know what's going to happen. And we had a guy sit in a car live on TV, and tell the other bidders he's buying 
in the car, you don't have enough money. That's a pretty bold <laughs> statement when you got billionaires standing there going, all right, boy, <laughs> let's see what you're made out of. <laughs> right. And just rock the house because the car that everybody didn't think would bring that kind of money just broke the bank. She had several guys that uh, were going at it, and this guy you know, sits in the car and tells the guys on TV, I'm buying this car. What's the most surprising story that you have about one of those cars? You know, maybe a car went for way more than anyone would have anticipated and it was just because of the auctioneers or the passion or, or the feeling in the room. Well, that I think was one of them. That car was the F88 Oldsmobile. And one of my competitors had turned it down at a 600,000 reserve. We were no reserve. At that year, we were 100% no reserve. This year, we have two cars with reserves. The owner said, okay, I believe you'll get all the money for it. We told him, we know how to market the car. We understand it's a, it was a concept car, General Motors concept car. And we said, it's all about the marketing and making sure that everybody understands how unique the car is. All the other ones were crushed. This is the only one available in the world. And GM themselves wanted to bid on it. And that's the car the gentleman sat in and said, that it's going to their museum. He's buying the car. But the other ones that were unique that you didn't anticipate, one, and we used to have a reality TV show, and we covered this on the whole show, where we were interviewing the, the owners ahead of time was this General Motors, it's called the uh, Future Liner. And they made 12 of these, and it was for their uh, parade of progress, where it was like the World's Fair, but they went small town to small town, and they opened up with big clamshell doors, and they showed technology of the future. One had a jet engine in it. This back in the right after the war, early 50s. One had what would end up being a fax machine in it, showing how you could put a piece of paper in one <laughs> end that comes out the other. I think 1950s. <laughs> pretty far thinking as to what the future was going to bring. And mm -hmm. a lot of this stuff actually, you know, became reality. And that vehicle, nobody had ever sold one. And, you know, the owners, they had a guy offer him money before the auction. We're like, no, we can't let you sell it ahead of time. It's no reserve. It's going in the auction. These guys were so nervous. Their dream number was 600,000. <laughs> Ironic, same as the F-88, brought 4.2 million. Wow. Holy. Two guys got into it back, forth, back, forth. You know, the other one was the Batmobile selling uh -huh. George Barris's Batmobile, the actual Batmobile, which started life as the Ford Futura concept car. And then George bought it from Ford for a dollar when they wanted to make the Batman the series. He took that car and turned it into the Batmobile. There's been a lot of clones made, but that's the actual original car. So there were all sorts of people saying, you know, what it was worth. Even Bob Varsha, our uh, color man on, at that time we were on speed, was saying, you know, I think this car is overhyped. When that car came in the arena, we dimmed all the lights, put the bat symbol up on the top of the tent, played the theme to Batman. He rolled the car in, sitting up on the top of it like Muhammad Ali coming into the heavyweight championship of the world. And the entire outside followed him in. When I watch the rerun at nighttime, you can see the security guards with their hands up trying to stop them, and they're just part of the crowd. The whole crowd just came inside. It started a bidding war. Ford was there to buy the car as one of the bidders. It got up to over $2 million. It sort of stalled. 
and then two guys got into it. Now, here's a room of 15,000 people in the room at wow. the time, and the two bidders, one's in, sitting right in front of the other bidder, and the same ring that's just pointing back forth. They turn around, they look at each other, and they started going back forth. Then they stood up and started eyeballing each other, and they're just going back and forth, back and forth. One tells the other one, he goes, how far are you going? I'm going to 10 million, how about you? Same, back, forth, up to, what did it end up selling for? Four million five hundred thousand, some or four million six hundred thousand, I think it was. And finally, the ringman's trying to split them. They end up flipping a coin for it, and the whole place just erupted. <laughs> you know, and the other, I would think, special moment was last year having you know President George W. Bush come there as a surprise. And I will tell my uh, my staff does a good job keeping surprises. You know, that one, Secret Service tells us, can't let anybody know. We took it serious. We even started auctioning the car. And then I said, whoa, we forgot to tell you about the charity. And to, to tell you about charity, here's the 43rd president of the United States. Please welcome George W. Bush. Boom, the place just erupted. Those are just special moments. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hopefully this Supra will bring another one of those special moments. We're very honored to have the car. The lineup of charity cars this year is phenomenal. And we welcome Toyota and what they are bringing to the table this year. and Very much appreciate it. As someone who's seen a lot of one-of-a-kind, very special cars come through, can you describe for us what makes this particular Supra so special, so collectible, so desirable? Well, I think one, having the special VIN, the 2021, being in special colors. And I think what's different than when we sell the Corvettes or, the, you know, we're selling the first, this uh, Friday, we're selling the first GT500 for Shelby. We're selling the first uh, four GT after you guys in the heritage colors. Those hit more the American market. I see the Supra as a world market, and I think it's going to be very interesting who buys it, whether it's an American or whether it's somebody from out of the country. This one truly has a world following. That's true. Where are some of the big buyers overseas? Like, where might this mystery overseas buyer come from? Would it be someone from Japan or somewhere else? It could be. I've sold cars all over the world. Uh, you know, I sold several big cars that uh, go, and we're not even allowed to know where they go. They go through reps. They get shipped to uh, depots, and then they go elsewhere. And we don't know where they go. I have my suspicions, but I don't <laughs> say it. Is that because the buyers don't want to be known? Yes. Okay. Just like with big art, and I have a pretty good idea, just everybody sort of gossip, but nobody actually knows other yeah. than the reps that buy for them. We have just revealed to a global audience the 2020 Supra. The excitement is off the charts, and that's what's coming into this auction. Can you ride that enthusiasm to the auction, or do you think the... Uh, the bidders have been waiting long before we unveiled it. I think the bidders have been waiting. I think having the Detroit Auto Show as the unveil with the car coming to Barrett-Jackson to sell as that one-two punch, mm -hmm. I think will make magic. That's what we want to hear. Magic. That is what we want to That's hear. That's how we felt about the Super Reveal. Magic. Well, that's, that's one of our terms. When you hit one of those moments at Barrett-Jackson, and you know you hit it when everybody has their cell phone out and they're videotaping it, mm -hmm. and you get a couple 
couple of those at every auction where it just blows the roof off the place. Mm -hmm. And I think this could be one of those moments. I think people sort of understand the drama of the auction room, but I don't know if our, if our listeners understand just how dramatic it can get. Is there any other element needed? I mean, is it really all about the personalities, the car? Well, what happens at Barrett Jackson? One, we have more bidders than anybody else. When you have 5,000 registered bidders with a guaranteed, we've already passed over the 1 billion mark. So when you have a billion dollars of lines of credit and you're in a fun atmosphere and the cars are all selling at no reserve, you get a mojo going. What's the most sought-after car in the world right now? What's the holy grail? You know, for everybody, it's different. Whether you like pre-war classics, you know, if you had to ask what's the most expensive car, you know, the guy from WeatherTech just bought that GTO Ferrari for $75 million. If they were ever to sell one of the rarest Bugatti Royales, it may bring more than that. But to me, I like a diversity of cars supercars and muscle cars and uh, I like stuff that I could take out and drive. I grew up in restoring the cars of the greatest generation, the classics, but I grew up around muscle cars and supercars. That's what I love. So I think everybody, it's what's their taste, what did they remember? And I think you're going to see, I predicted this, you're going to see the rise of the Japanese cars. Because we're looking at 50 years now. So you've got old generation now that's looking back and wanting their nostalgia. Mm -hmm. So previous to this, Japanese cars weren't as competitive as European or, or domestic. Not as much because they were until the, the 2000s, until the, you know, Datsun started making the 240Zs and that, they were, they were more utilitarian. Then they started making some pretty cool cars mm -hmm. that were a lot of people's first cars. Yeah. And that's one of the driving forces. So nostalgia plays a role in jacking up the excitement well, and the price. Yeah, obviously. Look at what the Supra's doing, yeah. right? Yep. It's the history. It's, uh, I can't tell you how many people, when we had, when we started finally being able to talk about this, just thinking how cool that is. And then first thing they talk about is their first experience, whichever generation of Supra mm -hmm. it was ahead of this. Yeah. We saw yesterday that, a, uh, I think it was a 1994 Supra sold for over $100,000 and it's a, and it was used. So people are excited. Oh, yeah. That's why I have high hopes for this. I think, uh, I think you'll see a lot of people come out. Plus, in our environment, it's going 100% for charity. Mm -hmm. They're writing the check straight to the charities. We're not making anything off of it. They get to buy the car of their dreams yeah. and get to write it off at the same time. It's a win-win. Well, we really appreciate your, your time and then also your effort on this as we celebrate the new Supra. Is there anything else you want to say about the, the Supra or the auction that you think our listeners would need to know? I think, you know, people want to tune in, watch it on, uh, on Motor Trend. Uh, also, they go to our website. We stream the entire auction at www.barrett-jackson.com. We also do a second screen experience, so it's very user-friendly for millennials to tune into. So watch it on your computer if you can't get us on uh, Motor Trend. It's 
right. You heard it here. If you want to see the electricity of a live auction for an iconic car like the Toyota Supra, you've got until Friday. So if you're ready to buy the first Supra off the line with VIN number 2021, make sure you have your auction arm ready for Saturday, January 19th at 6.30 p.m. Mountain Time. And you can watch it live on TV on the Motor Trend Network. That's all she wrote on Supra for today. Does anybody know how much this is going to cost? I do. How much? I know everything. (laughs) Under $50,000 is what is being said right now. What? That's right. It is starting under $50,000. And it will be in dealerships when, Allison? This summer. Just in time for summer fun. So make sure you visit toyota.com and go to our upcoming vehicles page and you can check out all the information. We want to thank everyone for tuning in to this super, super episode of Toyota Untold from Tyler, Allison, and Kelsey. This is Toyota Untold. Have a super day. 